a very special passage to me four or five years ago. Uh, God really used this text in my own life to bring great conviction and to challenge me. And I hope tonight that two things will happen. If you are watching and you do not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, I'm praying that this message from God's Word will be used to bring you to faith in Christ. And if you are a child of God, if you already believe, then I'm praying this will be used to challenge you to serve Him with all that you have. Life is all about perspective and perception. Two interesting words. Perspective, according to the Oxford Dictionary, is a mental view of the relative importance of things. So it's your view, your way of looking at things and thus discerning how important they are based upon your relative perspective, your relative position. But perception is the interpretation or an impression that's based upon how you understand something. For a lot of people, perception is reality, isn't it? How they understand the present circumstance or how they interpret the present circumstance oftentimes is reality. If people believe that aliens are orchestrating all the events in the world today, well then in their mind, it is a reality based upon what they understand, based upon the impression that they have, it's a reality. And you couldn't convince them otherwise. And no matter what it may be, I don't know how you are interpreting uh, the facts or interpreting what's being shown or propagated today in the world, whatever side or sides you may find yourself on, how you perceive things, your perception will be a reality to you. What you think you see often is a reality in your brain. We were visited this afternoon by one of our neighbors here in, in uh, this community. He popped into the chapel whilst I was preparing for the meeting tonight. And, and uh, he was telling me about a conversation that he was having with a, another person in the, in, a neighbor, in the neighborhood. And this is a fellow who doesn't uh, worship here. But he said to me, I told them that... Uh, you were a bit of a tyrant. And I said, okay, that's very nice of you. Thank you. And uh, he said, yes, ever since you changed the locks on me. And I said, I don't have a clue what you're talking I didn't change any locks. And he said, you didn't change any locks. I said, no, I don't know what you're talking I didn't change any locks. He said, oh, I've been telling people that you changed the locks on me. And I was convinced that you had done that just because of me. And I told him, I'm sorry, but no, that's not true. But in his mind... He had perceived something to be a certain way. And therefore, based upon his understanding, he had developed in his mind something he was convinced was a reality. And this is the way it is with many people today. Unfortunately, sometimes we as Christians give lost people a bad understanding of what Christianity really is. Sometimes the way that we act or respond or the way that we speak or the way that we carry ourselves uh, gives a wrong understanding to people on the outside looking in. I want you to look at our text tonight. We find something, some very interesting things in our text. It's a beautiful historical account. It's not just a story, but here's something that really happened, and it's recorded for us by Luke. 
And I want you to notice, first of all, in the text here, our perception or our perspective, you could say. And we're going to take this from what people saw. Here we are together in our text, and the Bible says in verse number 36 that one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. We find out later on in the passage that that Pharisee was called Simon. He wanted Jesus to come and dine in his house. Now, it's very interesting. You can be very religious and still be far from the kingdom of God. We know that there was one Pharisee called Simon there. In verse 49, the Bible says, And they, plural, that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves. So not only was there just one Pharisee, but we also understand that there were others there as well. Others gathered there. A group of people, they desired for Jesus to come and eat with them. And then in verse number 37, something changes their little party. Something disturbs their little gathering. Here's Simon the Pharisee and perhaps a group of other Pharisees or religious people gathered together. And in verse number 37, behold. You ever heard the expression, lo and behold. That's really a biblical expression. Lo, look and behold. And behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him. All of a sudden, here were these religious people wanting to have a good time with Jesus and then in comes a sinner and ruins it all. Now that sounds a little bit like the modern church today, doesn't it? Sounds a little bit like the 21st century church, you could say. A few hypocrites, a few religious Pharisees gathered together wanting Jesus to come in and entertain them. And we're quite comfortable and quite happy amongst ourselves. You can imagine, just about imagine, living the village life here in that day. Middle to upper class people, nice, everything going well. And, and all is fine and dandy. All of us comfortable in our homes and nice clothes and nice automobiles and plenty of food on the table and all is well until sinners start coming in. I'm reminded of the story of G. Campbell Morgan as he ministered there in, in London, in the very heart of London in the city, Westminster. He pastored that great church, Westminster Chapel, that Martin Lloyd-Jones would one day pastor. The story says that G. Campbell Morgan had a very successful ministry and that ministry also attracted not just the wealthy, although it did attract a number of wealthy men and women who paid for the construction of the building as you see it today, a beautiful building. But he also attracted the down and outs, the homeless, the drunkards, the drug addicts. He had a real heart for those kind of people. But there arose a problem in their midst one time you see, the wealthy, the ones who paid for the building and who kept it running, they were a little uncomfortable because in come these down and outs and they kept coming more and more and more and more and they were sitting in the seats of the wealthy people. And then they began to sit right next to the wealthy people. Can you imagine? 
and sitting in front of them and behind them. And the wealthy people couldn't enjoy the service because the smell and, and uh, it, was just, it was just causing all sorts of trouble. So they had a, had a little meeting. They called for a meeting with the pastor. They said to him, now we're glad you love these people and have a heart for them. And we really are glad. But we're going to have to do something about this. We're going to have to do something. You're going to have to do something about it. Maybe you can have another service for them, they suggested. A different time. And then they could have free reign of the place. That would be lovely, wouldn't it? Mr. Morgan said, I can't do that. Well, the wealthy people grew a little impatient. And they said, well, you're going to have to do something. At least put them in another seating section. Do something. And they pushed and pushed. Mr. Morgan held his ground. But finally, after much pressure and many meetings, he gave in. And had designated seating for the down and outs. He wrote with his own pen, The day that that happened was the day that his church died. You see, if we're not careful, we have in our minds what Christianity should look like. And this is why all around the world, Christian missionaries have failed on a number of occasions because they have sought to bring an image a type of Christianity rather than the very essence of it. And here's a group of Pharisees. Their time ruined by this sinner who is known throughout the city. It's interesting to me, we're always quick to condemn others because of their sin, aren't we? And reputations are very hard to shake. Reputations, at least in the eyes of man, are very hard to shake. If you were once a drug addict, well, you'll forever be a drug addict in some people's minds. If you were once an alcoholic, you'll forever be an alcoholic in some people's minds. If you were once a fornicator or an adulterer, you'll always be such in some people's minds. And somehow, we often feel better about ourselves when we can point out someone else's sin that appears to be far worse than our own. This is often our perspective on life. And it certainly was to Simon and the others gathered in that house. In fact, Simon, the Bible says in verse number 39, when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself. He couldn't help himself saying, this man, if he were, speaking of Jesus, if he were a prophet, would have known Who and what manner, what kind of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. That was his perspective. I want you to see in our text as well, I want you to see how God sees. Because part of our problem today is we look with the eyes of man. We see with the eyes of flesh rather than seeing with the eyes of God. The Bible tells us in verse 
number 38. This woman came at the end of verse number 37. She came, she stood behind Jesus. She brought an alabaster box of ointment. In verse number 38, she stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Can you imagine? Now this is what Jesus is seeing. By the way, this is what everybody else is seeing also. But they can't get past her reputation. They can't get past what they know she has done to see what she is doing now. And as she kneels there weeping and washing and wiping and kissing and anointing, the Pharisees sit there grumbling within themselves. Jesus would let this woman touch him? This sinner? How on earth or why on earth would a prophet, if he really was a prophet, by the way, we know him not to be just a prophet, but the very God in flesh. How could God, pure and holy and righteous, let such a sinner touch him? She wasn't worthy. But Jesus wants to teach Simon and the others and you and I a very valuable lesson tonight. And it is a lesson on perspective and perception. Look what God sees. Jesus answered in verse number 40. Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. Simon, I want to talk to you for a moment. I've got something to tell you. And Simon saith unto him, Master, say on. Go ahead. There was a certain creditor. This is what God sees. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they both, you could say, when they had nothing to pay, he, the creditor, frankly or freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Now, Jesus, Jesus has a way, doesn't he? A way with words, a way of revealing things, a way of getting to the heart of the matter. And Jesus explains what he sees. Because at the moment, all the Pharisees can see is this ugly, rotten, filthy sinner who shouldn't even be in the house. They're worried about their own reputation, let alone Jesus' reputation, because this sinner of a woman has wandered into their home and they're all in danger of having their reputation tarnished. But Jesus wants to show them what he sees. And he does it with a parable. Here's what he sees. He sees a creditor and two debtors. 
A creditor is a person that people are indebted to. People owe him. He paid something that the others couldn't pay. He's a creditor. And if you have ever had a credit card or if you've ever taken out a loan from the bank, then you know what a creditor is. You owe them, you owe the bank because the bank paid something you couldn't pay. And in this picture, there are two debtors, people who owe tooth debts. One person owes 500 pence, the other owes 50 pence. One owes an awful lot of money. In fact, he owes 10 times as much than the other person owes, but both of them owe something. This is what God sees. Would you listen for a second? This is God's perspective today. We all owe God. You see, we have it all backwards today. Humanity has the wrong perspective today. We are seeing things wrong. And humanity, if they even believe in God, and if they want to entertain the idea of God, they think God owes them. We live in a society where people think they are owed. They think they're owed a paycheck. They think they're owed a job. They think they're owed a house. They think everybody owes them. All because our perception, our understanding of reality is wrong. And because our understanding is wrong, we have this mentality that everybody owes us. And that is also transferred into the spiritual realm as well. Many people believe that God owes them. But the truth is, we are indebted to God. Every breath you take is a gift from God. Every beat of your heart is a gift from God. Every day you get out of bed and your eyes open up is a gift from God. If you have a job, it's a gift from God. If you're healthy enough today to get out of bed, it's a gift from God. If you're healthy enough today to get out of your house and go for a walk, it's a gift from God. If you have oxygen running through your veins and pumping in your, in your lungs, it's a gift from God. If there's food on your table, it's a gift from God. If there's water to put down your throat, it's a gift from God. Everything we have, the scriptures say every good and perfect gift cometh from above. We owe him. But there's something else we owe. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God isn't just a benevolent God that gives us nice things to keep us alive. He also has given unto us the one thing necessary for your soul's salvation, for eternal life. Now, he's given you the necessities of physical life, day-to-day life, so that you might one day have your eyes opened and your heart softened and realize you need not just physical life, but spiritual life as well. And he has granted unto you, and not just given unto you, but he has purchased For you. Salvation full and free. He has paid something that you and I could never pay. You see, we owe a debt to God. 
Just like those two in the little parable. One owed 500 and one owed 50. But every time you sin, every sin is another tick. Every sin is another strike. Every sin is another line in the ledger. Every time we sin against a holy, righteous God, our debt is growing, 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 growing. And we owe a debt that we can't pay. We are indebted. Our sins have caused a deep, deep debt. And you could never, some people imagine, if they just do good, their good will outweigh the bad. But can I tell you something? You think with me for a moment. If you have a mortgage of 100,000 pounds, just because you are making money doesn't mean your mortgage goes away. And some, some people imagine because they're doing good things that their debt will automatically go away. And then some people imagine that their good things will pay off the bad things. But you and I both know that in a court of law and justice, that never works. No, the truth is we owe a debt that no man can pay. And some of us owe a debt that is much bigger than others. And so Jesus gives this parable to show us that he paid our sin debt. And I love what he says. He, frankly, when they had nothing to pay. Let me tell you something. Look here for a moment. I don't care how good or religious you think you are or self-righteous you are. We have nothing to pay back. The Bible says when they had nothing to pay. That's the reality of our condition. That's what God in heaven sees tonight. You have nothing to pay. And your debt is only increasing. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. He freely, that's what the word means. They had nothing to pay. They stood before a judge. They stood before the creditor with no money to pay. They could never pay him back. And the Bible says he freely wiped it clean. That's what Jesus did for us. He saw a need. He saw humanity dead in trespasses and sins. He knew that they would only sin more, not less. One of our Great Christian heroes once said it like this. You've probably heard it before. A little story, I think it was recorded in an anecdote book by, put together by D.L. Moody, and others have shared it as well. But D.L. Moody wrote one time that there was a, a, a meeting for church membership, and a man came before the elders of the church to give his testimony, and, and uh, they asked him about his testimony of salvation, and he said, yep, me and God did it. And they said, pardon me? Of course, we all know that we're saved by grace through faith. Yep, me and God did it. And they said, don't you mean God did it? No, 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 me and God did it. Well, tell us, what do you mean? I did the sinning and he did the saving. Isn't that right? There's nothing we could do to save. The only thing we contributed to our salvation was the sin that made it necessary. And that's the reality tonight. Jesus saw a need and he freely met it. 
You and I are debtors. The debtors in this story are you and me. We all owe him. And you might be thinking tonight, I'm not as bad as she is. I'm not as wicked as he is. And he's ten times worse than me. Hold on just a moment. We all owe a debt that we can never pay. And this is why Christ Jesus died. This is what God sees. God sees a world of debtors. And some might owe 500 and some might owe 50 and some might be worse in the amount of sins and the kind of sins, but all of us owe nonetheless and none of us can pay. So Jesus came to pay it for us by laying down his own life on Calvary's tree, by dying in our place, by offering his shed blood as a satisfactory payment. Now, the Pharisees saw a sinner coming in and ruining their reputation. Jesus saw a whole house full of sinners. One more thing. One more observation in this story. And this is the lesson that we've got to learn. This is the lesson that Jesus wanted to teach Simon and everybody else in the room. And here's a lesson he wants to teach you tonight. And that is our response to what we see. Now watch this. I love this. Jesus asks Simon at the end of verse 42, Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, Well, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. That's perception. Perception, you've got it right. Finally, you're getting it right. Jesus is helping change this man's perception, perspective and perception. And he turned to the woman. First time he speaks to the woman.